name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. We don't know how old he was, but Andrew was a young man, and he was a disciple of John. He was a disciple of John, the son of Zacharias, and John, the son of Zacharias, had been chosen by the Lord, even foreordained before he ever was ever born. And the crowds are so large, he's being forced into the water on the edge, and uh, he sees Peter and Andrew, maybe even James and John, cleaning their nets. And he says, hey guys, can I bar your boat? And they, he stands in the boat off the shore and he teaches. And after he's finished teaching, he says to Peter, he says, hey, let's go out fishing. Of course, they've been, they've been fishing all night, and when Jesus shows up, they've been cleaning their nets, and uh, presumably they're finished with that task, and so they have no desire to go out there and fish. Nobody catches fish during the day, and plus we've just cleaned the nets, etc. but Peter goes, but because you asked me, we'll do it. And so they do it, and of course, you, most of you know the story, and they go out and they catch so many fish that their boat is about to, about to sink, and Peter then falls on his knees in front of Jesus, and he says, man... Go away from me because, I mean, he, he, he gets it. I mean, this Jesus is more than just another person like himself. There's something vastly different about him that he controls the fish in the sea. And he says, get away from me. I'm a sinful person. And you remember Jesus says to him, he says, he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From here on out, you're going to you're going to be fishing for men, not for, for fish anymore. And uh, according to the story... Andrew and Peter and James and John, their friends, they all left their fishing trades and for the next three years would follow Jesus as some of his first disciples. Now, in the Bible, the word translated disciple is is the Greek word, mathetes, but that's immaterial. It means student, learner, or like pupil. Now, in Jesus' day, there's no college. You don't go off to college. If you want to learn something, you attach yourself to somebody who's really good at the thing you want to learn. So if you want to be a shepherd, you would attach yourself in an, a, like an apprenticeship, if you would, to a shepherd and learn all about shepherding. If you want to be, a, and let's just be honest, in trades like that, you probably did that because your father was that, and you, you, you did the trade that your father did. Jesus was a carpenter because Joseph was a carpenter, and so he apprenticed under his father, Joseph. Uh, if you wanted to be a lawyer, however, or something that wasn't in the family in the family line, you would apprentice under, say, for instance, a lawyer, and you would learn to argue like he argued, and you would you would learn his techniques and all of that kind of stuff, and you became this deliberate apprentice of that person. That's what a disciple was. Now, all throughout Jesus' early ministry, in the years that followed after his death and resurrection, the people who followed Jesus were called his disciples. They were called his learners or his apprentices, if you would. They were apprenticing under Jesus. Now, it would take a few years, but in the northern, north of Israel is the country Syria, and in Antioch of Syria, the followers of Jesus, who were known as his disciples, they would first be called Christians. 
Now, the word Christian means simply little Christ, or in Hebrew, it would be little, little messiahs, if you would. And, uh, and there's no doubt that the people who called them that, that was a, a form of derision. They were, they were saying that to make fun of them. You're just a little messiah. But the disciples of Jesus, that's what their goal was. Their goal was to learn from him and to be like a replica of him, to do what he did and to think like he thought and to speak like he, like he spoke. And, and so they embraced this designation Instead of, instead of being offended by it, they took it for them, themselves because they openly identified themselves with the Lord Jesus. So this morning, what I'd, I'd like to do is I'd like to start a series of messages for the next couple of months on, on what I'm going to call transformational discipleship, being changed by our apprenticeship to Jesus. And, and I'm going to, if a, a subtitle would be focusing on the essentials of discipleship. And uh, I'm really excited about this. Uh, you know, the idea is not original. I, I saw it somewhere else and I really liked it. Uh, but there's a, there's a passage in Colossians where where. Paul really kind of defines for us the elements of discipleship. So what we're going to do is over the next few weeks, we're going to take those elements in that Colossians passage and we're going to look at them. But this morning as, as we begin, I thought I would start with something a little bit different. And uh, what I'd like to do today is I'd like to, to bear down on this on this subject or this title, seven truths. I'm calling, there's just seven. There's probably a whole lot more that we could have said. I could have said less, but you know me. <laughs> yeah, you know me. So seven truths about God's call uh, to be his disciple or seven, seven truths about Jesus' call for us to be his disciple. That, that's where we're going to start because I, I think this is sort of like going to be a bedrock or a foundation, if you would, for everything else we're going to say in the weeks to come. And I thought this would be a great way to start off 2021 because really that's, we've said this many times, that's, that's our goal, that's our mission as a church. We're to make disciples. And, uh, and you know, to make disciples, we've got to be disciples. I, I really believe they're, they're, you can't really have one without the other. And, and so I thought this would be a great, a great way to start off the year. So that's what we're going to do for the next few weeks. But today we're going to look at seven truths about this call to be Jesus' disciples. Let's just dive in. Here's the first one. God's call to be his disciple is it's a call to be all in. It's a call to be absolutely uh, devoted to him as our teacher or as our leader. So often when we approach following Jesus in our culture and in our day, it's, it's met with a bit of indifference or apathy. We treat it an awful lot like it's another thing on my to-do list this week. Oh yeah, I've got to be a disciple of Jesus. But that's not what Jesus is asking for everyone. He's not asking for us to be another thing on, his to -do, on our to-do list. He's asking for us to be absolutely fully devoted to him. So here's a passage where he's talking with the, the men and women that would claim to be his disciples. In Matthew 16, he says, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life uh, because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? So he's, he starts off with these three big things. He says, if you want to be my disciple, he's talking to people who are already kind of following him. He says, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to deny yourself. In other words, what he means by that is you've got to choose me over you. You've got to deny yourself. You've got to be willing to even lay down your life to die for me. And you need to, and you need to follow me. Now, for, for many in the world, listen, listen to what I'm going to say now. For many in the world, to follow Jesus, there is no, there's no difference. There's no difference between following him and really denying yourself and, and giving up your life 
and, 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 and doing that. There's, there's no real divide. Let me, let me illustrate. Last night I got an email from one of the ministries that send me emails every week about what's happening to the church around the world. And this is a story that I read and I just thought, oh, I'm going to read this tomorrow because it illustrates my point. Here, here it is. I'm just going to read you. India's recently, India's recently been pushing for a purely Hindu nation, which has led to the murder of five Christians in a two-month span in 2020. One of these believers, 27-year-old Kandim Mudu, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, was a Hindu before coming to know Jesus in 2018. After he became a Christian, he led three of his brothers to Jesus. Hindus pressured him to renounce his faith. When he refused, local Hindus attacked his home and sexually assaulted his mother-in-law. Following a second attack, Kande told his wife, Bindu, that the extremists would attack again. On, on June 7, 2020, the attackers returned and they abducted Kande. As they were taking out, taking him out, he told Bindu, I may be killed tonight, but I will never attack these people. Never give up your faith, even if I'm killed. Kande's body was found by the roadside the following morning. And although Bindu must now raise their two children alone, she is determined to honor her husband's final admonition. She won't give up her faith. For us as Westerners and Western Christians, listen, if you become a follower of Jesus, chances are you're going to be celebrated by your family, especially if you come from a Christian family. You're going to be celebrated. I said this not too long ago. They're going to take you out to lunch and everybody's going to be so happy that you've decided to follow Jesus. There's, there's no such cost as Jesus talked about that uh, Kande, for instance, experienced in uh, his life. And look, can, I go, can I go one step further? And I know this may change in the years to come or the decades to come, but even your non-believing friends, they could care less that you're a follower of Jesus. It doesn't make much difference to them that you're following Jesus. It's just a thing. You know, we live in a pluralistic, free society, so you can follow. It just no, doesn't bother them that you follow Jesus. Now, that may change. But for right now, that's, that's the truth. But Jesus isn't asking. Jesus isn't asking you and me to be a follower of his in name only. He's not asking us to just put on a little badge that says, oh yeah, I'm a disciple of Jesus. He, I mean, he's asking us to be a fully devoted apprentice, to learn from him as, as he instructs us. Now in the church, in the church, in, in the Western church, because that's the church I know, I mean, this is the church we live in, right? In the Western church, we've conflated the idea of what we know with what we do. You understand what I mean by that? We, we think that because we know something, that it's the same as, as being a follower. It's the same as doing. Knowing and doing are not two, they're not the same thing. I want to quote Francis Chan. Francis Chan, the author, we probably most of us who follow Jesus in our culture, we know his name. But he tells a story about when he was a kid and he played the game Simon Says. We all know that game, right? You know, Simon Says, do this. And as long as Simon is saying, do it, you do it. And if someone says, do this, no, you know the game, right? Okay, this is what he says. And I quote, I quote Francis Chain. It was a very simple game, but it's so weird how in the church Jesus says is a totally different game. If Jesus says something, you don't have to do something. You just have to memorize it. You have to study it. You memorize it. You just, you don't, it doesn't make sense a lot of the things we do. Jesus says, go and make disciples. How many people are actually making disciples? Uh, what they have memorized, what they have done is memorized it. It's like when I tell my daughter to go clean her room and she comes back later and she says, I memorized it. You said go clean your room. And she adds that she can say it in the Greek as well. And then she also says, my friends are coming over tonight, Dad, and we're going to study what it would look like if I clean my room. 
She knows better than that. So why do we think we are going to come before the judge one day and quote something he said and talk about how much we know? My, my point is, I'm not, I'm not trying to cast, castigate us. I'm simply trying to say that when Jesus called us to be a disciple, it was to be all in. It was to be all in. And it wasn't to be all in and just name only or, or what we think or what we know. It was to be all in that we apprenticed under him. We learned to speak like him and love like him, act like him, which would be to love like him and, and to do the things that he did. Here's number two. God calls for his disciples. God's call for us to be a disciple is not a respecter of peoples or of nations. Just before his return to, uh, to heaven, Jesus gathered his disciples and he says, hey, listen, guys, go and make disciples. And here, here, I memorized it, right? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. And, and I've even memorized it in Greek, pantata ethne, right? Which means go and make disciples of all the ethnic groups. Now, think about this for just a second. He's sending a group of Jewish believers. Jew- they're all ethnically Jewish. And he says, I want you to go to all the different Gentile people groups out there in the world. And I want you to make apprentices of me from all of those groups. The kingdom of God has always been multicultural. It's always been made up of people from all over the world, all different eras and all different ages. God chose one family, the Jewish family, and then he chose specific, excuse me, Abraham's family, and then he chose specific members of Abraham's family, and he said, hey guys, I want you to take the message, and I want you to take the blessing to the world. That's what I want you to do. And and they totally missed that. It's sort of like, uh, I was to ask Libby, Libby's my oldest daughter, and I said, hey, Hey, Libby, I got something to tell you. I got some great news. Dad's inherited $5 million. And y'all can pray for that to come true. It'd be really great. But uh, so uh, dad's inherited $5 million. And listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that news to all of your siblings. And, and I want you to take them a million dollars each from the money I've inherited. Now, wouldn't it be foolish for Libby to think, man, because dad gave me this responsibility, I'm the only one that he loves Since he chose me for this task of taking this good news and this money to my my siblings, hey, I'm the one that God loves. Well, that's obviously ridiculous, isn't it? But that's exactly how the Jews thought. They missed it. They thought because God had chosen them to take the message and to take the blessing of Messiah to to the nations, that somehow they were the only ones that God was loving. How arrogant is that? Jesus drove home this point in a story he told when he's teaching. He says, a man was given, this is, oh, I don't didn't write it down. Just listen. This is, but it really comes from the Bible, and it's a real story that Jesus taught, all right? I didn't write it down where it's from. A man was giving a large banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who were invited, come, because everything is now ready. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. And the first one said to him, I have bought a field. I've got to go see it. Excuse me, please. Another one said, I've bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to go try them out. Please excuse me. Another one said, I just got married and therefore I'm unable to come. So the servant came back to and reported these things to this master. Then in anger, the master said of the house, told his servant, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the blind, and the lame. Master, the servant said, what you've ordered has been done, therefore there is still room. Then the master told the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, not one of those people who were invited uh, will enjoy my banquet. 
I don't really want to go into the whole parable, but basically he's, he's, the, the people that the Jews would have considered persona non grata in God's word, world would have been the poor, the lame, the maim, all of those. Jesus says, first of all, the master says, go bring them in. And then after he's brought them in, he says, go into the hedges and the highways and invite all the Gentiles in, is what he's saying. So, so the point Jesus is making is that God has always had a heart for all the nations of the world. It's not just about the Jews. They were his special people. They were a nation that he created to take the blessing to all of us. But when God says, go and make this, when God says, come and be my disciple, he's not a respecter of any nation or any people. Anybody can come, whosoever will, from any. And he desires, kind of like David, David read from, uh, from John's letter, and David even talked about, it's like, hey, God desires people from every tongue and tribe to be a part of his kingdom. And one more thing before I move on away from this is that this is a synergistic endeavor, by the way. And by what I mean there is that God is making, God is by his spirit is, is speaking to the nations and the world, but he's also sending us out. So it's something that we work with God in to make nations, of, I mean, make disciples of all the nations. Number three, God's call for disciples isn't a call to perfection, but it's a call to progress. Now, let me be clear. The goal is perfection. Jesus said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. So the goal is perfection, or the call is perfection. However, the Bible also says that God knows us, that he knows that we're made of but the dust of the earth, and he knows our nature. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and God knows that, right? That's why Jesus had to come. Jesus had to come so that someone could live out God's moral perfection, and he did that, right? But the rest of us, we fall short. Though he's calling us to that, 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 that great perfection. He's calling us. He knows where we are. And so what God is looking for amongst his disciples is not necessarily that we'll ever make perfection, but he's looking for progress. He's looking for us to be moving along this line and, and, and becoming more and more and more like Jesus, whom we apprentice under, whom we are disciples of. I don't know if you listen to Dick Lane's podcast, but, but I listen to it every week. And this week he was talking about the raw recruit. And if you listened, he made this statement in his podcast. He said, he says, nobody enters the military as a five-star general. They enter as a raw recruit. They don't, don't, they don't know anything. And the goal is hopefully that they will make progress and move up the ranks and become a better soldier and maybe eventually become that five-star general. But, but they don't start off there. They start out as a raw recruit. And he ended by saying this. He said, and this made me smile, Dick. He said, uh, you know, I entered as a raw recruit, but I'm not a raw recruit anymore. And you're not, and neither am I, and neither are many of you. But we all started that way. It'd be great if instant maturity was what it means to be a disciple. You become a disciple, and boom, you're there. You're instantly mature. But that's not it. That's not where we are. A five-year-old does not have a 15-year-old's maturity. A 15-year-old does not have a 25-year-old's maturity. A 25 does not have a 45-year-old's maturity. Although... Although some 25-year-olds may have a 45-year-old maturity and a 45 may have a 25. But you don't need somebody I'm saying, right? That maturity, it, it comes with time. And, and listen, if we're not careful, we put expectations on a 5-year-old or a 15-year-old that shouldn't be placed on them because they're a 5-year-old or a 15-year-old when it comes to following Jesus. And if you put expectations of a maturity that's not where someone is, you crush them under that. You confuse them. 
One of the common, one of the common criticisms of older Christians is that, that younger Christians are people who are just starting it out. They, they don't get it right. And not only do they, they get it absolutely wrong. And we put these moral expectations on new believers that they're going to be where we are after all these years. And I'm not where I should be after all these years. And you're not necessarily where you should be after all these years. Or, or, we, we, or, or think-wise, we, we, uh, you know, Billy Rickman was always talking about the children in his Sunday school that were thought that we became angels when we die. And, uh, you know, so... We understand that people, when they're starting out, they're, they're at the beginning and they're growing and they're, they're becoming more and more and more like Jesus. And in and, and, and discipleship, God's call to be a disciple is a call to grow and to make progress. You are not the person you were when you began to follow Jesus. And, and by the way, this is where we need to not judge one another. When Jesus talks about judging each other, it's not, that I, it's not that I don't expect you to have accountability about my behavior and how I am. I do. I want you to speak into my life. But, but we can't judge one another's hearts and where we are with the Lord. These new Christians can be swayed by powerful personalities. They can be sexually active outside of marriage they, they can have questionable business practices, end up in broken homes, swayed too much by culture, uh, not sure how to conduct themselves in worship, or listen to this, even doubt core doctrines like the resurrection of Jesus. And I know what you're thinking. You're saying, oh, they can't, they're not even Christians then. You know that list that I just read you? It comes from 1 Corinthians. Those are the problems that Paul was addressing in the church at Corinth. And you know what? He doesn't treat the church of Corinth like they're not God's people. He addresses them as like there's problems to be addressed and dealt with, but he's not treating them like they're not God's people. And we, we need to be doing the same. We need to recognize that as mature believers, you that are mature, be patient. Be patient, be kind, be helpful, be encouraging, not condemning. And Chris, a quick reminder before I move on. The most morally pure people in Jesus' culture i.e. the Pharisees, they were the people that Jesus had some of the harshest things to say to. Remember that? Number four, being a disciple isn't easy. Being a disciple of Jesus isn't going to be easy. When he calls us to discipling, to be his apprentice, to be his learner, the pupil underneath him, that's not an easy thing he's asking of us. He never said it would be. In fact, this is what he said. He said, you're going to have tribulation. He said, he said to his disciples, if you're not willing to die for me, you can't be my follower. I mean, he recognized that you might be having to lay down your life uh, for him. It was hard at times for followers. It's hard for so many around the world, uh, not like it is for us. It's really hard for them. But, but there's a couple of other ways that it's really hard. It's hard for us to understand the teachings of Jesus. It makes us sometimes to want to give up and not really try to understand what he wants of us or what he's saying. In John chapter 6, you remember this story. Jesus is talking about bread from heaven and how he's the bread. You've got to eat me and, and drink my blood. And they're like, yeah, they didn't get that. So in verse 60 of chapter 6 of John, it says, Therefore many of the disciples heard this. They said, This teaching is hard. Who can accept it? And Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, asked, Does this offend you? Then what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit in their life. But there are some of you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and the ones who would betray him. He said, This is why I've told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted to him by the Father. 
From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. So Jesus taught some really hard things for people to understand. It made it hard for people to follow. He turns to his disciples after this event. You remember this? He turns to the 12 and he says, are you guys going to leave me too? You remember they said, no, we're not because there's no one has words that you have. But here's my, here's my point in telling you that. He asked them, are you going to leave me too? So these guys that left in John chapter 6, maybe they weren't the first to leave. They definitely weren't the last to leave. Um, remember, and when they're moved by Jesus' teaching, we find this exchange. As they're traveling along the road, someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, the foxes have dens and the birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And then he said to another, follow me. Lord, he said, first, let me go bury my father. But he told him, let the dead bury their dead, but you go spread the news of the kingdom of God. Another one said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go say goodbye to those in my house. But Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Here's my point. I mean, there's a lot of hard things that Jesus asks us to do, really hard things. So if you're going to be his disciple, following Jesus isn't going to be easy. There's going to be hard things that in our day, in our age, Jesus is asking us to do. Stand against our friends, stand against this, stand for that, and, and it's going to put us at odds with lots of people, and, and it's going to be uncomfortable, but Jesus says, hey, you want to be my disciple? Come follow me. It's going to be hard, though. Here's number five. Not everyone who becomes a disciple remains a disciple. Now, this truth is controversial for those of, of Baptist persuasion, Christians of a Baptist persuasion, but it ought not be. It ought not be because the New Testament just for him. Awesome to that point, right? Now listen to what he goes on to say. If indeed, if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in faith and not and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. He says, man, as long as you continue in faith, this is true. It's not going to be true if you get shifted away. Paul tells the believers, you'll be, you'll be faithful and you'll, be, you'll receive God's inheritance. And I'll read it again. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Now the difference among followers of Jesus today would be, well, well what about their condition prior to falling away? Oh, you know, I don't even want to go there. My point, my point this morning is simply to say to you that not every disciple who starts being a disciple ends up as a disciple. They all, they all continue. We find that in the Bible. We find that in our present day that men and women who have been consequential followers of Jesus, making a difference for the kingdom of God, have now renounced and deconstructed their faith and say they no longer believe in Jesus and they no longer follow Jesus. The point, the point isn't whether that happens. The point might be, well, what were they like before? But I tell you what, the warning is just as real. And Jesus, when he says, come be my disciple, means asking for a lifetime, Tim. Not just for a few years, not just for a decade or 20 years. He's asking for your entire life. And that's not just true for Tim. That's true for every one of us in the room, all of you listening by live stream. When Jesus says, come be my disciple, it's not for a season. He's asking it forever. And too often we equate, listen to this, too often we equate following Jesus with a prayer we prayed years ago. Now I want you to know something. I believe in praying a sinner's prayer. I believe it's helpful. 
I, I believe that when, when I'm sharing Jesus with someone and, and they're saying, I want to follow Jesus, I, I believe it's beneficial for me to lead them in a prayer, help them pray, and ask God to save them and express their faith to God. I, I think that's beneficial. But let me say this, that that is not the same as remaining faithful. That's not the same as continuing to follow Jesus. Not everyone who starts as a disciple, who claims to be a disciple, finishes as a disciple. Number six, being a disciple is a call to serve. And there's so much I could say, and and I'm just going to, I got one more after this. But there's so much I could say about about Jesus' call to be a disciple. It, It is a call to learn from him, but it's a call for you to serve like him. It's a call for you to um, prefer to give yourself, to serve others, even over yourself. You know, we're disciples just like the disciples of Jesus' day. We, we want power and position. I mean, I, I don't know how strongly I've struggled with this, but, but I still struggle with it. Want to be recognized as a good pastor. Want to be recognized as a pastor who is serious about Jesus, who loves Jesus, who takes his work seriously. I, mean, I, I want that sort of recognition. But, but that is not what God calls us to as disciples. It's not about acquiring position and power. It's about being a servant. And the disciples, they constantly wrangled over this. So on the very night before Jesus is to die, they're, they're discussing and arguing about which of them is the greatest. Two of them sent their mother to ask for the best position. And if they didn't send her, she went on her own. But either way, it's the same, right? They want the best seats in the kingdom, and Jesus is really quick to address this numerous times. He, he says, even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, Jesus is trying to say, if you want to be great in the kingdom, he says this several times, to be great in the kingdom of God is to be the servant of all. It's to be the guy who's willing, to be the gal who's willing to just lay down their life and serve others. That's the person who's great, not the person who has the position or the authority. That's not. Now, yeah, they may be great too because they may be a servant, but it's not the position or the power that makes them great. It's their servant's heart that makes them great. Jesus said, unless you become like a child. Now, these are my descriptors. That means full of faith and powerless. I've got three grandchildren now. I've got two that are in, going on their twos. One just turned two, and one's one and a half. And one of the things that I note about them is uh, their trusting of their daddies. And I used to do this too. Now as a granddad, I get it. But my sons will cake my, my grandkids, and they'll throw them up in the air as high as they can, you know? And then they'll catch them when they come down. And to watch my grandkids' face, they just love it. They love it. They're just absolutely confident dad's going dad's gonna to catch them. My, my, my oldest son did something with his son Whitaker that, that scared the bejeebies out of me. He put, he put wit on his head like this, and then he, Wit would do a nosedive. And, he, and he'd hold his hands and feet, and they'd go between his legs like this. I mean, it was so scary. It was so scary. But Wit, he loves it because he's trusting his father. So you know when Jesus said, unless you become like a child, I think he's saying, unless you, unless you become someone who's willing to trust God like a little child trusts his daddy. And powerless, little Wit, and little Benaiah, 
And of course, Charlie, she can't do anything right now. But they, but they have no power. And so when Jesus said, unless you become like a child, I think that's what he means. Unless you become powerless. And, and just unless you're willing to become powerless and be a servant and trust the Father, then you're not going to be great in the kingdom of God. And I think one of the clearest indicators of this would be the night Jesus, the night before he died. We know the story well, so I'm not going to not go into any detail. But you remember, he, Jesus takes off his outer garment, washes feet, low job. And then he says to disciples, he says, guys, what you've seen me do, this is what I want you to do. You're apprenticing under me. You're learning from me. I want you to be a servant like you just saw me be. I want you to do the same thing. Serve others. Serve me. Serve others. Give your life in service to others. I'm always amazed at how you serve. I mean, I just found out, I found out, I don't know, it's been a while, but I found out a bunch of you get up before 6 a.m. and you're at the, the Christian Outreach in Smithfield and you're bagging groceries for people. Someone asked me this week to go with them to a food bank on William, in, over in Williamsburg to help out with a food bank. I mean, I knew when I was asked, I knew they did that, but I'd only found out a few weeks earlier, I think, that they did that. I didn't know you were serving like that. It was awesome to learn that you were serving like that. Or you're out building a deck or a ramp or you're making meals for poll workers when you're not even asked to do so. Or you're, you're taking meals to one another, you know, loving each other. I mean, I, I, I'm always amazed and always blessed to learn of your service of others. I think I've told you this already, but talking to Patsy on the phone one day, you know, her and George and their hardship, and she said, Jimmy, you just can't imagine how the family has loved us. Just can't imagine. I have something I want you to watch. Um, Jesus wants us to serve, but not just serve each other. He wants us to serve others. And can I go so far as to say he just wants us to serve even our enemies? Hmm. Even our enemies. Put, put your little enemy tag, tag on that and say, hey, God wants me to serve these people. Anyway, I have something I want you to watch. And I don't know if this guy that you're going to see is, uh, I don't know if he's a disciple of Jesus. I don't know if this is stemming from the fact that he's a disciple of Jesus and he wants to serve. So, but I'm putting him out there because I really believe he's an example of what it means to serve as a follower of Jesus. So if you would watch this, it's just a few minutes long. It all started with a simple request from a customer. Now a newspaper carrier has found a whole new mission. Here's CBS's Steve Hartman on the road. Long before social distancing, Greg Daly was already keeping his customers at arm's length. In fact, to those on his paper route in central New Jersey, Greg has never been anything more than a blur past their driveway. But as we first reported in April, all that changed when one elderly customer asked him a simple favor. Could he please pull in and throw the paper closer to the garage? It hit me that if she can't get the paper at the sidewalk, which is 20 feet from the house, in this pandemic, how is she going to get the things she needs? So a couple of days later, I just decided, you know what, I'm going to put this note out. The note, stuck in the next day's edition, said, My name is Greg Daly, and I deliver your newspaper every morning, which was news to most people. I would like to offer my services, free of charge, to anyone who needs groceries. But it'll be in, in a, From that moment to this, tomorrow, okay? the phone has like been now. ringing off the hook. Inundated. He takes the orders, does the shopping, and delivers the groceries, not by whipping them out the window, 
but by carefully placing them on the porch. How are you? And boy, are people grateful. Step back and I'll put them in the house for you. Eileen Stein is 85 and recently widowed. I don't have enough adjectives. He is one of the finest people in the world. The lady at this house went even further, called him the closest thing to God. God. <laughs> There's a level of appreciation here, Steve, that goes above and beyond anything I've ever seen. So no, I'm not going to stop. Well, you'll stop when this is done. I, <laughs> Greg said, not necessarily. There's something about being able to do something really nice for people. And sure enough, since this story first aired, Greg has expanded his mission. About 130 seniors are now on his grocery route. It's my pleasure. He's also added about a dozen volunteers, mostly college students, who assist with the shopping. And he has plans to do still more. Okay. Greg Daly was called to duty by circumstance. But he's staying in service by choice. Have a great day, all right? Steve Hartman, CBS News, on the road. (laughs) Aren't you you impressed with his his paper-throwing ability? Did you see that? You know, he was good, wasn't he? I tell you what, I don't know if Greg's a believer or not. I don't know if he's a disciple of Jesus, but I'm telling you, disciples, listen. He calls us to serve. And he calls us to find ways like that. If only we could just get this, get it just in our heads, right? That service isn't just about the things we do for one another in our church family in the context of our local church. It's, it's serving others like that in Jesus' name. You know? Amen. So lastly, finally, the being a disciple is a call to love. And if you would, this, this, last, this last point is the fountainhead, really, of everything else that I've shared. Definitely the fountainhead of the last point about service. The same night that Jesus washed everybody's feet, he, um, he, he waited till Judas had left. But after Judas had left, this is what he said. He said, guys, I give you a new commandment. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How will people know that we're a disciple of Jesus? It's because we are willing to love others. We're willing to prefer them as more important than ourselves. We're willing to put them first. It's the fountainhead of everything else. John, uh, the John who was sitting there that night, uh, who's the author of the Gospel of John, he would later write a letter and he would say, God is love. And he would then say this, and we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. You know that no murderers have eternal life residing in him. This is how we've come to know love. Jesus laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And here he defines that for us. If anyone has the world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. If you want to put a verse um, somewhere to see and read often, it should be that one. Little children, let us not love in word or, or speech, but in action and in truth. Lay down your life for others. Give of your surplus to others. Maybe even be willing to give of your want or need to others. Love doesn't just say I love you. Love shows that I love you. On November 2nd, 2014, 
In the opening seconds of uh, her final game, final weeks of her life, Mount St. Joseph University freshman Lauren Hill made a basketball shot that rocked the gym. Um, the game announcer said, we'll remember that layup forever. Lauren had terminal brain cancer, and she'd die a couple of weeks later. Uh, and this story's been told a whole lot around the world since then, but she played her final game in front of 10,000 cheering fans that day. That's a great story in itself, isn't it? But here's the real story. The reason she could do that was because the women's basketball team from Hiram's College in Hiram, Ohio, they gave up their home court advantage and they moved up the game two weeks early so that Lauren could play. You know, and uh, I actually saw a video presentation of this, and and the team from from Hiram is they're all crying. This Lord makes that first shot. See, that's what love does. Love, 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 loves in action. And it's not about a feeling. It's about doing. It's about doing for others, even at a cost. Uh, even at a cost for you. But um, I suspect. I suspect that every one of you in this room would have done the same. I suspect that you would have been willing to sacrifice home court advantage for Lauren, or you'd have been willing to, you know, move the game up two weeks and have less practice, etc., so that Lauren could play. And uh, what, what, what I found is that, you know, we're really inclined to do the big things like that, but it's a whole lot harder to love people with the little things that I don't want to do. About mid-pandemic, I went to visit an elderly person who's part of our church family. I wore my mask the whole time I visited with this person. And when I got ready to leave, this is what she said to me. She said, thank you for wearing your mask. She didn't ask me, I just did it. And uh, I replied, well, I didn't know whether I might have COVID, and so I didn't want to give it to you, so that's why I wore my mask. But what occurred to me that day was that because I wore that mask, she felt loved by me. Who cares? Who cares whether the mask is efficacious or not? Who cares whether it works? I was loving my sister, and she felt it, and she knew it. I hate to say it, beloved, but it's easier for us to love people in the big things and then the, maybe the, the, the hard, I don't want to say it's hard, because it wasn't hard for them to move that thing up, but the big things, oh, let me rephrase this, like this, it's easier for us to love someone else in, in, in some way when we want to. It's a whole nother thing to love somebody else in, in a little thing when I don't want to. Right? Am I not right? It's easier to love someone when I want to love them. It's a whole nother thing to love them and put them first when I don't want to. And Jesus is saying to us, he's saying, hey, my disciples, being an apprentice of me, means that you are willing to love others, prefer them, support them, sacrifice them, even when you don't really feel like it or you don't really want to. We are to be the church. The word means, you know this, the word means the called out ones. We're the ones that have listened to the voice of God written on our hearts and written in, in everything we see. We are the ones that have responded and not, we have not suppressed that word. 
And we have responded to Jesus and we follow Jesus. And so we've been called out. We've been called out. And we've been called out to follow and love and apprentice under Jesus. And it's not easy. It's hard. It's hard to do what he wants us to do. It's hard sometimes to even know what he's saying. It's hard to obey him. It's hard to serve others. It's hard to love others. But that's what, that's what I'm asking all of us to reaffirm this morning. To reaffirm our fellowship of Jesus. To reaffirm our love of Jesus. Our willingness to prefer others and, and just be like our Savior. That's what I'm asking of all of you. On behalf of Jesus, I want to ask you to follow him. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you're in this room and you're not a follower of Jesus. I mean, you're, you're open to it, but you know in your heart you're not his disciple. You're not his follower. Would you follow him today? Would you make a decision to follow him? I've only recently discovered there's a lot of people watching us on live stream. Maybe you're watching on live stream and you are not a follower of Jesus. You, you, can, you can follow Jesus where you sit right now in your living room. Come as you are. Don't worry about what you know. Just come follow him. We'll help you because we're all, we're all on the same journey, apprenticing after Jesus. And you can learn from Earl. And you can learn from me and you can learn from Danny. And we can all learn from each other as we follow Jesus. I want to invite you to follow Jesus. Let's bow our heads and hearts. We'll be quiet for just a moment and let you talk to God. Like I said a moment ago, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of you praying and just saying to God, God, I really want to follow you. I, 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 I'm, I want to be your apprentice. I want to be your disciple. I want to be a little Christ person. And I want to invite you right now in the quietness of this moment. I'm going to give you quietness in just a few seconds. But in the quietness of this second, just talk to God. Say, God, I want to be a disciple. If you're already a disciple, maybe, God, help me, help me be a more faithful disciple. Help me take it more seriously. Help me realize I need to be all in, whatever he says. But let's take a moment and just talk to God. Jesus, thank you for the privilege Oh, what an incredible privilege of being your apprentice, to being your disciple, to be a follower of yours. What a great privilege to represent you in this world. What a great privilege to follow other great men and women who have lived throughout the centuries ahead of us following you, for us to be the legacy in our generation uh, of being the, the help to others, to, to not suppress the truth of God in them, but to respond in faith to to uh, what you've put in their heart. Lord, help us to be disciples who are, uh, that, that our lives confront people's hatred and anger and, and lack of faith. May our lives be testimonies to your goodness and your greatness. And, and uh, Lord, may, may our discipleship inspire others to follow you. Father, I pray for uh, men and women who may have been listening today that are, you know, you know where they are. Lord, if there's someone listening that's on the fence, Spirit of God, right now, confirm your word to them, I pray. And I ask this all this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Mm-hmm.